So there are actually two miracles that we're celebrating this morning. Uh, the one is head and shoulders above Jesus' resurrection, but I am also in a blazer. So two miracles. <laughs> two miracles. Hey, would you, uh, would you open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5? If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the back table. And if you do not own a Bible, please take one home with you. Uh, let that be our gift to you. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible or how to find the book of First Peter, there should be a table of contents toward the front of whatever Bible you are holding, and uh, that should help you out. It's toward the back. That's, that's about all I can give you right there. So, uh, so, so, so just like the book of 2 Timothy, which we have just finished studying as a church here at Substance, the book of 1 Peter is actually a letter. It was written by the apostle Peter, who was an eyewitness and a friend and a follower of Jesus Christ. And it was from Peter to five different churches, to the Christians in five different churches spread across five different cities in Asia Minor, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And if you do not remember those names in 30 seconds, that's okay, that's, that's all right. So hopefully you have found 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Um, I'm actually going to start reading in 3, but I'm going to read all the way through verse 9. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a shorter message this morning. We have children amongst us, and we're so glad to have them in here. And for their attention spans, um, and for, the, for our sake, I'm going to shorten it just a little bit. So let's begin reading in verse 3. Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, church? Father, it is humbling to be here today. In light of the most amazing news the world has ever heard, the resurrection of the Son of God from the dead, who was crucified on behalf of sinners, who was buried in a tomb that belonged to us sinners, 
And though he rose, he left our death and our sins in the grave. We thank you for that truth and ask that you would open our hearts this morning to receive it, to celebrate it in this shortened time that we have this morning, God, that we would savor your word. I pray, Lord, that this body of people, this congregation, these men and women and children, I pray that they would be given discernment to spit out the bones that are my words and they would cling to the words of life that are yours this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would be edified as we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of visiting our dear friend, Hazel Hall, at the Worcester Community Hospital. Uh, I visited her with Sister Susan Grassy, who just woo-hooed. So, yes. Uh, so, so we were there. Sister Hazel, which was actually a band in the 90s, Sister <laughs> Hazel uh, uh, had recently had shoulder surgery, and, and it was taking a little bit longer than she anticipated, this whole exit process from the hospital. But as I sat there with her and with Susan Grassy, I was amazed. I don't know if you were, Susan. I was amazed at how settled and how joyful Hazel Hall was in that hospital room. Even though she was in pain, even though she wasn't sure exactly how or when she was going to be getting home or, or how she was going to cook for herself or the details involved in all of that, even though this, this whole thing was looming in uncertainty for her, it didn't unsettle her. It didn't unsettle her. It didn't shake her from her joy and her confidence that we will get into in a moment. In fact, when Susan and I asked, Hazel, how can we pray for you in these next few days and weeks, her response was not for herself, but that she would have opportunities to share her faith and to share the gospel with people in the hospital with her. And I can't help but think about Hazel Hall and, and the people that probably you know as well, who have been in similar circumstances. I can't help but think about these people when I read 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. So Peter would have likely written this letter from Rome like a year or two before the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Timothy, the letter that we are just getting out of. They're right around the same time. Not only that, but the churches to whom Peter wrote this letter, like the church in Ephesus, were facing tremendous opposition on account of their faith in Christ. If we were to do a quick survey of this letter in its entirety, we would find that in, in verse 6 that we read of chapter 1, they were experiencing trials of every kind, these Christians in Asia Minor to whom Paul, uh, Peter was writing. In chapter 2, verse 19, we see that they were enduring sorrow and suffering unjustly. In chapter 3, they were receiving evil. They were being reviled and slandered. And in chapter 4, they were being maligned and insulted. The point I'm trying to make is that in every chapter of this letter, we read of trial and opposition and uncertainty that these Christians in these five churches were facing. And yet... Peter begins this letter in the first half of verse 3 with doxology, with praise, with joyful, 
blessing to God. And then in the second half of verse 3, and then into 4 and 5, our text this morning, Peter proceeds to remind them that despite the suffering they're facing, these Christians possess something. They possess something. They have been brought into something that Peter refers to a living hope. A living hope. In the midst of their pain, in the midst of their uncertainty, Peter does not offer advice on how to avoid further suffering. He doesn't pray and ask God to remove them from all of their discomforts. He does not offer positive thoughts to them so as to distract their thinking from their affliction. In the midst of pain and sorrow and fear and looming uncertainty in which they find themselves, Peter offers them a living hope. He offers them the resurrected Christ. And this morning, Easter Sunday 2018, we each of us are offered the same. The resurrected Christ Jesus, a living hope. A living hope that can supernaturally settle us, even in the midst of sickness, which I know many of us are walking through, even in the midst of disease and the loss of loved ones, which many of us, including myself, are walking through at this very minute. It's a living hope that can supernaturally sustain us through relational conflict, through marital issues, through joblessness, through cyclical sin. It's a living hope that that supernaturally, church, do you believe it, has the ability to lift us out of waywardness and idolatry that runs so rampantly in our hearts. It's a living hope that can encourage us even in seasons of doubt and unbelief. Do you believe it, church? So this morning, we're going to consider this living hope that Peter possessed and that the Christians of these five churches in Asia Minor Minor possessed and that we possess this morning by God's grace. So the title of my sermon, as your bulletin reflects, it's really not tricky. I came to it pretty quickly. A living hope. (laughs) And we're going to look at two quick things. We're going to look at what it is what this living hope is. And number two, we're going to look at what it does. What this living hope produces in those who possess it. It's all we're going to look at. And it'll be rather quick. So let's look at number one, what this living hope is. In the original Greek, which is what is the language that Peter would have written to these churches in, in the original Greek language... The phrase, a living, as in a living hope, the phrase, a living, is zao in the Greek, and it means this. Literally, it means breathing, active, effective, and endless. And the word for hope is very closely related to the Greek word for faith. The Greek word for hope is elpis, a joyful, confident expectation. 
It is a certainty, church. It's an assurance. And so what we have in the Greek is zao elpis, a living hope. It is an active confidence right here and right now. So when we take zao elpis in the context of verses 3 through 5, we understand living hope to be this. It is an active confidence that the creator God in his mercy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead has saved us from our sin, past tense, and will save us into an everlasting inheritance, future tense. There's past, present, and future at play in the word and in the phrase a living hope. A living hope is a present certainty of this eternal reality, the gospel, the good news. It is an active confidence right now in whatever you are facing, friends, whatever you're facing, that through the resurrection, because of the resurrection, we know that the gospel is true. It is an in-the-moment inner assurance, this living hope, that the good news is true, that Jesus really is the promised Son of God. He really was sent into the world by God the Father, and he was born of a woman by God the Holy Spirit. He really did live a sinless human life unlike any other human in history, including all of us here. He really, historically, actually died on the cross as our substitute in order to pay the penalty that we owed to God for our rebellion against him. Every one of us owed that penalty, and Jesus really did act as our substitute on the cross. He really was buried, and church, he really was raised to life three days later. And it's on the basis of the resurrection that we can surely believe, church, he is coming back to give us the eternal inheritance he has secured for us. And that inheritance is very, very wide in its breadth. New bodies will be in a new city, will be on a new earth, a renewed earth that will be sin-free, and it will be everlasting and abundant life, sin-free, forever with him. Amen. Because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. We have an active confidence, a zao el peace, that this good news is true. Do we see how paramount the resurrection is? I had breakfast with Brian Hodge earlier this week, and he was like, you know, something kind of perplexing about Easter. We should definitely celebrate, and you should definitely wear a blazer, but we should always, we should treat every Sunday like Resurrection Sunday. Church, it's the reason why we worship on Sunday. It's the reason why we worship. Man, I'm getting claps this morning. I'm on fire. Everybody tell Ronnie this, okay? <laughs> if Jesus hadn't raised from the dead, Peter would not have much to write about. And, 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 and if Jesus hadn't raised from the dead, we wouldn't have this living hope, and none of us would actually be here right now. Do we see how central this resurrection is? As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Church, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is flat out in vain, and so is your faith. 
If Christ has not raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So am I, but this is Paul writing. If Christ has not been raised, we are of all people, we Christians, are most to be pitied. Do you know what that means? We are fools if Christ hasn't raised. And it's really ironic that it's April Fool's Day today. (laughs) But Christ has been raised. He has been. And I wish I had time to go through the litany of critical scholarship that I got to dig into this week for validation, historical validation of the resurrection. It breathed life into my bones, dudes. The evidence for Christ's rising is so extensive that the majority of modern-day critical scholarship, okay, hear that word, modern-day, 21st century, critical, as in atheistic, non-believers, scholarship, so not just the angry teenager on YouTube, talking about people who study out history and validate history, the majority of modern-day critical scholarship deems the resurrection an undeniable historical fact. Now, they don't believe in Christ, but the evidence is all there. It's all there. Brothers and sisters, Jesus rose from the grave. He is not dead. He is alive. And because of God's great mercy toward us, many of us have been given eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive this truth, which is my prayer for all of us in this room that God would cause us to be born again. And I don't have the time to go into that causation, that effectual call, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. I don't have the time this morning. But because we have been born again, we've been born into this living hope, this active confidence, and I'm going to say it again, Zaol peace, this living hope is an active right now confidence that the creator God in his mercy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead has saved us. It is finished and he will save us into an everlasting inheritance. So that's what this living hope is, but let's look at what it does. Number two, what this living hope produces. There are a litany of things that it produces, but I'd like us to look at two things from today's passage. Number one, it produces in us persevering power. In verse five, God's power the very same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that brings us all into a living hope is the same power that guards us and seals us and keeps us until Jesus returns and consummates the redemption that he has secured for us in his death and resurrection. See, those who possess a living hope through the resurrection of Christ... They persevere. They persevere. We are kept by this living hope. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that though we might be afflicted in every way, we are not crushed. We will not be crushed. Though we are sometimes perplexed, we do not despair. Though we are persecuted, we are never forsaken. Though we might be struck down, we will never be destroyed. Though we share in the death of Jesus, we share even more in the life of Jesus. 
an active confidence that the gospel is true, that Jesus reigns, is the very power of persevering that sustains us through the loss of a loved one, through the challenge of raising children, through marriage crisis, again, through joblessness. Think about whatever it is that you right now are facing, your doubts, your fears, your despairs, your worries and anxieties. The resurrected Christ is our living hope in that, in it, not around it, in it. Knowing that Christ is alive right now on the throne can strengthen us in the face of those things, that he will wipe every tear. He will bring all that is wrong into rightness. He will bring his justice into the injustices of our lives. He will surely do it. The resurrection is our guarantee. The second thing that this living hope produces in us as seen in today's passage is worship. We see it in verse three, the first half. Again, Peter is writing this letter from Rome just a year or two before Paul wrote 2 Timothy. Think about the things Paul was facing. He was imprisoned. He was going to be executed for preaching the gospel. That's what Peter is in the midst of as he writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A living hope granted by the Holy Spirit into Peter and these five churches produces doxology and worship and blessing unto God. And because we have been born again into this living hope, into an active confidence, this morning even, even earlier and and as we sing at the end, we too can put on this active confidence that Jesus Christ, having been emptied from the tomb, is at the right hand of the Father in power on high, and he is with us in his spirit. Church, we can sing no matter what it is that we're in, because he walked through it as we, and he's with us right now. Emmanuel, God with us. I love the story in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they've exercised the demon out of that girl who was annoying Paul <laughs> and, and, and the girl's handlers are really disturbed and so they gather a mob and they, and they beat Paul and Timothy and then they shackle them in the inner prison in Philippi and at midnight it says in Acts chapter 16 they're literally hanging in shackles singing and worshiping and praising the Lord. And it doesn't always end up this way, but what happens? An earthquake literally shakes the prison walls like apart, like Jericho, and, and the chains break, and, well, they get to walk out of prison. But I love that active confidence, that Zaol piece of hanging in shackles, knowing that the resurrected Christ was with them and it brought into them and out of them doxology that the Holy Spirit inhabited. I want to experience the depth like that of living hope, don't you? I want to experience that tangible, I could almost taste it, present certainty 
of what Christ done has, has done in the past and what he will do in the future. I want to taste that certainty, Lord. Help us to taste it. Because the resurrection offers each one of us that, that very certainty. As I prepared this week, and I'm wrapping up, I was struck with how little I regard the resurrection in my daily life. I was humbled. Because if Jesus really is who he says he is, if he is really alive right now, should that not change everything about everything in my life and in yours? I mean, the way that I organize my day and how little time I, even as your pastor, struggle to get into the word and to pray, shouldn't that, if I believe that Jesus is alive and ruling and reigning and will soon return, shouldn't that change the way that I address my wife, that I speak to her? Shouldn't it, shouldn't it change the way that I cherish her and lead her into the word and my kids, shouldn't it change the way that I'm so impatient with them? Shouldn't it change the way that I, I relate with my neighbor? Shouldn't I be begging the Lord in the morning, God, give me an opportunity to preach your good news to my neighbor who does not know you because you're alive. You can grant me that. And you can give me the power, Lord, and you can give the Holy Spirit to convince their heart and to open it and to renew it that they would come to know you. Shouldn't it also change our zeal for, like, for mission to go into all the world and to make disciples of Jesus is really alive? Do we or do we not? I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be condemning, so maybe I, should, maybe I should word it another way. I'll just ask, church, do you believe that Jesus has raised from the dead. Do we, here in Worcester, Ohio, believe that? Because should it not change everything about the way that we relate with people in Worcester? If Substance Worcester were to somehow pick up and, and move for whatever reason, shouldn't it be that, this, that the, the city, the community of Worcester would just notice a gaping hole of love and justice and mercy and compassion and generosity. I think it should, and, and so I felt convicted this week. My actions reveal very much a lack of belief in the resurrection or its power. So I've asked the Lord to forgive me, and, and maybe you would echo that sentiment. Wouldn't it give us just an urgency for fighting our sin? for believing that he really does have righteousness and joy for us when we pursue him. Maybe turning off the TV at night in favor of praying with our wives or our kids and, and trusting the fact that the Holy Spirit of the resurrected Christ will meet us in that moment and he's gonna give us more joy than 30 minutes of whatever we would have settled for. He would give us a living hope an active confidence that the creator God in his mercy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead has saved us and he will save us into an everlasting inheritance. Let's pray.
Yes, Lord, let it be that each of us, by your kindness and grace and mercy, that each of us this morning would enjoy that living hope. If there are those among us who have never placed their trust in you, King Jesus, I pray, Father God, that you would cause them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And for those of us who have responded, oh Lord, I pray you would fill us with great zeal and celebration and joy for that which you have accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen.